Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is September 2nd, 2019. It's Labor Day, and this this is episode 278. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll go around the bases and figure out what's going on in Birdland. We'll also be prepared to turn in our fan cards. About time. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? All right. So I'm drinking a Elvis juice by BrewDog. Um, there's a bit of a story mm-hmm. there. Um, this past weekend, I don't know, maybe Friday, uh, I was in the liquor store. Uh, and despite my year without buying beer, uh, I was determined to buy beer this weekend. Um, and so I, with the end of the summer approaching, I was like, you know what? I need a grapefruit beer because soon it'll be replaced with pumpkin. Everything will be pumpkin. It'll be spice latte beer everywhere. Um, but I was like, no, we're, we're here for something else. I think it was box wine or whatever for a party. So, uh, I left it. I was like, but I'm coming back tomorrow. And Scotty, I went back tomorrow my grapefruit shandy was replaced with none other than pumpkin beer. So I instead turned to Elvis Juice, which is a grapefruit-infused IPA. Hmm. Uh, honorable mention, however, I had a dang or two this week by uh, Big Oyster. Big Oyster. Uh, which is phenomenal. So if you haven't checked out Big Oyster Brewing, please do so, especially the dang. So um, yummy. I honestly feel really bad right now. Why Why would you possibly feel bad, Scott? This is your thing. This is your moment. The drink of the week is is the time where you shine. So, uh, Jake, you've just uh, knocked out of the park uh, two great beers. Elvis Juice, wonderful. Um, I'm glad to see BrewDog finally getting some local distribution within the Maryland area. Mm-hmm. Dang! Uh, from Mingo Oyster Brewing is a, a great beer as well. I prefer the uh, Noir et Bleu. Um, but, uh, again, excellent choices all around. Uh, Jake, I am doing a uh, beef eaters with Sprite with some maraschino cherry juice. I'm I'm sorry, what? Uh, I'm doing a beef eaters with Sprite with maraschino cherry juice. Are you angry with yourself? So, you know how I like to dabble. <laughs> you occasionally dabble. Uh, so I dabbled. And I was just like, let's just mix this all up and let's just see how good this could actually be. Uh, it turns out, not so good. So this is a recipe that um, I'm going to drink. Because I'm not going to waste perfectly, you know, decent gin. We're not call it good gin. It's beef eaters. Uh, but I'm going to drink this. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to drink it. So uh, it's just like the Oreo season. I'm not going to enjoy watching or doing this podcast, but I'm going to do it nonetheless. Well, if we must pay attention to not only your dabbling, but the Orioles, let's go ahead and take a look at the medical wing. All right, so um, nothing too much going on here in terms of new injuries or anything going on. Gee, I wonder what happened with the medical wing. Why is it so empty? I can't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's good to see that you know people are coming off and coming onto the 40-man roster and so forth and so forth. But I think if we had to have one big story for the medical wing. I think it has to be one thing and one thing only. Yes, folks, Mark Trumbo has risen from the dead. The glorious return of the pie hater himself has occurred. And it's monumental. It's great to see. Yes, exactly. It's glorious. Such a monumental individual such as Mark Trumbo coming back and uh, lacing a few doubles and getting some RBIs today. This is the swan song. This for Mark Chumbo, song, right? Yeah. I mean, he he's going to retire at the end of the season with this knee injury. Of course. And and I don't mean to denigrate and I don't mean to belittle, but I think that Mark Chumbo had only a few tools, one of which was just ridiculous power. It's kind of sad for him that he didn't get to hit with the juice balls, right? I mean, if you look at it, 
Mark Trumbo is the poster boy for what this season should be about, right? Like the ball is jumping off the bats. This would have, I think, taken him back to that, you know, hitting dingers in the all-star game uh, batting, you know, home run derby. Even the ground ball that he hit today was at like 104 miles per hour. And I'm like, all right. Look, he'll never be one of my favorites, probably never a fan favorite, you know, despite the fact here in Baltimore, he was a white guy who brought his uh, lunch pail to work or whatever. But, you know, good for him for for coming back from this injury. He could have hung up his cleats and said, you know, I'm done. He saw it through probably because he wanted to get paid. But good for him. I hope that he enjoys the month of September and, uh, you know, I hope he enjoys his, his next phase. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole uh, fan favorite because when I think of fan favorite that, you know, maybe he's a big hitter but didn't make a significant contribution elsewise, I think Mark Reynolds. Yeah. But Mark Reynolds is held in high regard by Orioles fans because of that great 2012 season. But shouldn't we look back on Mark Trumbo and say, yeah, he had that really great season with the Orioles in 2016, and that made a difference? Yeah. But we don't. We're not going to. You just mentioned that you're not going to hold him in the same regard. So does it just come back down to we basically disowned him as soon as he said, I don't like pies? (laughs) That certainly (laughs) didn't help with me. That didn't help with me. Even though you know it came out from Adam Jones, no, it wasn't Mark Trumbo that— causing the issue or anything like that yeah and you also hear that you know he's a good teammate and despite what you think uh that he's not you know he's, he's a he's a great influence in the, in the we, clubhouse and we heard about that about eric Bedard as well then you know that's obviously always truthful coming out of players mouths <laughs> i i think what may be going on here is that it is very easy for a player like an adam jones to charm fans Right. With a a guy with a personality like that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's very easy for a guy like a Hanser Alberto to charm a Pedro Severino to charm the fans. Mark Trumbo isn't that guy. Did you just say Hanser Alberto is charming the fans? Oh, oh, he is charming. My friend. The only thing he charms are left handers. It's alarming how charming he is. All right. And I'm not ashamed of that. Right. But is this because his name is Hanser? (laughs) That might be it. Hanser. Hanser. The point is, I think it's more difficult for uh, Mark Trumbo to uh, win us over just mm. because he's, he's a more reserved kind of guy. Okay, fair enough. So he needs to be a little bit more charismatic white guy as opposed to <laughs> yes. uh, his current state. Yeah. So Mark Trumbo, as we've oft reported in this medical wing, not dead. Uh, tip of the cap for coming back. Uh, enjoy being a major league baseball player enjoy your farewell tour right yeah and just enjoy it and unfortunately uh, it's with the 2019 orioles right but uh enjoy that time so let's go to 280 character less this week on the twitters jake one shake the first one all right first of all i love this but second of all i have so many questions so scotty occasionally when we're at the ballpark we'll tweet out our bird's eye view of the of the field i love it when other people shoot their pictures from the ballpark and let us know it's great well some great pictures came in from Justin Rollins. Justin tweets at Justin Ray 79. This particular tweet was both interesting and confusing. Uh, at birds of UBL. Hey guys, love the podcast. Fool. Uh, just came across it a month ago. I'm going to be in Kansas city Friday and Saturday for the games, sending support from the Midwest and Illinois. O's fan. And then he sent us some pictures uh, as promised. Th- so many questions. First of all, if you're listening to this podcast, you have a problem. You need to seek professional help. If it lasts longer than four hours, my God, see a doctor. Especially if you're doing this now. Like, right. I understand that, 2012 when we first started. That's the other thing. I just found this a month ago. Who is looking for Orioles podcast this month? Who Who is saying to themselves, this Baltimore Orioles business, I got to get deeper into this. What What media have I not explored for me to more fully experience the 2019 Orioles. Uh, so, uh, Jake, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, I've tied our site directly to Google AdWords, such as gin, uh, hanging rope, and depression and anxiety. So uh, I think we can pretty much cover the Google history here for the majority of Birdland. I tease, I tease. Justin, thank you for sending your pictures. I, I hope you had a great time. All right, this next tweet comes from the Baltimore Orioles. I've heard of them. At Orioles. Tweet goes as follows. The safety and security of our fans is the utmost importance as we continue cultivating a fun, family-friendly, and affordable experience for everyone to safely enjoy Orioles baseball. As such, we are canceling the rest of this. No, we are further extending protective netting at both Oriole Park and Edsmith Stadium at this given time. 
yeah, great indication um, in, in terms of what the ores are doing. Unfortunately, uh, the comments uh, within this were uh, were not so great. Um, indications of like, hey, you should really be uh, you know focused on the game as opposed to you know looking at your phones, and children shouldn't be in the bottom area. Or, you know, hey, I can't get close to the players now to get my autograph signed. And, of course, the guards came back out and said, hey, by the way, the extended netting will be a retractable, just like the current netting is, so that if you want to interact with the players during pregame, uh, it, it's no issue whatsoever. Does anybody have a problem with the glass at hockey games? What? The glass. Well, I know. Hockey is this thing. I think it's like uh, water polo, but with horses. Anyway, okay. Hockey is a game. They have a protective. Uh, it's not glass. It's plastic or some such nonsense. It keeps the puck from uh, killing people. Right. It, it's been there for I don't know. I don't follow hockey. Some time, maybe our entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have a problem with that? No. I'm sure that when it was installed, people complained like this. Yeah. But you know what? In ten years, none of us will remember that there used to be no netting, and people won't be hurt. And it comes to the point also of, you know, people making mention of like, well, you need to have quicker reflexes. Look, when the ball comes off the bat at 100 miles per hour, you in essence are going to have two seconds to react. Two seconds. Like, this is why, you know, when you watch it in the stands, you know, when the bats come out or the balls come out, you know, even an average adult can't do that. Number one, you're frozen because it's the aspect of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is actually happening. And in essence, your body basically constricts and you're basically going into self-preservation mode as you go through this. I mean, I remember there was actually a moment um, at one of my kids' t-ball games this year. And again, t-ball, you know, softball, not a big deal. But the ball literally popped up in the air and probably went no more than 30 feet, came right down on my daughter's head. But everyone at that point was literally two feet away from them. And they could have stopped her and said, oh, let's move them. But they literally just watched it as it hit her. And I'm like, well, first of all, like, I'm not that concerned with it. Second of all, God dang it, people, what are you doing? Like, where are your reflexes? But if you can't stop it at a t-ball game, you're not going to stop it at a baseball game. It's just not going to happen. I did not hear this story. Oh. And I'm very sad I was not there. Real question. Yeah. I do not know the answer. This is an actual question. She got uglier, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today's game is, is different than... You know, game, the game of your. Mm-hmm. We we know this. One of the ways in which that is the case is that the athletes are different, and and what I mean by that is I'm not saying better, I'm not saying worse. Their bodies are different. Sure, right. Their nutrition is different. The science behind their workouts is different. The physical specimens that today's players are are. Are we still talking about Hansa? We are still talking about <laughs> Hansa. Hansa. Um, they're, they're, they're thoroughbred racehorses. I think it's also important, you know, when we think about, oh, well, there's been players out there like a Frank Robinson or a Hank Aaron that have hit the ball with, you know, tremendous power. But again, those are Hall of Famers. Now you've got individuals that, Mark Trumbo, for example, who's just coming off the DL, who's hitting the ball at 100 miles per hour coming right off the DL. You've got players that, you know, are not even the best players out there from an offensive standpoint that on average are hitting at 90 miles per hour off the bat. And and power's being supplied on the pitching side too. You're, right, you got 98 coming. You've got you know 114 off the bat. I don't know that this was always necessarily the case. Uh, it's my opinion, unfounded and unresearched, but it's my opinion that the ball is coming off the bat harder and faster than ever before, on average. Jim Palmer would disagree with you because you know he was hitting it at 200 miles per hour off the bat, but uh, 200. It was a million. Yeah, easy. And Dave Johnson, just like, I didn't need that. I just need to throw the ball 80 miles per hour straight across the plate, and that seemed to work okay for me. If only we had <laughs> Dave Johnson throwing every pitch, we'd be fine. Oh, my. Oh, gosh. Let me let me bring us back. Okay. The next tweet comes from Luke Seiler, who tweets at the underscore Luke underscore Seiler. Going to the final day of the minor league regular season, the hashtag Orioles have 40 pitchers who have a K per nine of at least 10, uh, a minimum of 200, uh, 20 innings pitched. In 2018, they had but 20. So in, in one year, the Orioles minor league affiliates have doubled the number of pitchers whose K per nine is at least 10. Scotty, I want to believe, I'm going to put on my X-Files hat here, I want to believe 
that this means things are getting better. I want to believe that this is actual proof that the minor league system is improving. Can I believe it? Yes. All right. All right. Now, I don't know how impressive 20 – I don't know how impressive 40 is. I have no way to measure this against the other clubs. But this is one thing that we can at least look at and say, regardless of the wins and losses, which mean what in minor leagues, the the actual process of the pitchers performing is improving. We at least have something that, again, is one of the true outcomes in this modern-day age, which, again, is case per nine. Um, it doesn't cover the whole aspect of whip. It doesn't cover walks per nine. But still, strikeouts are a big portion of the game, and uh, it's something that the Orioles have had a difficult time finding pitchers that are good strikeout um, artists. Instead, it's been, well, he's a decent fly ball pitcher. And so it's like, fly ball pitcher, Camden Yards. Okay, well, we're, we're going to see how that goes. Um, but yes, I do think that overall, um, we've talked about it through the entire season, uh, the minor league pitching has drastically uh, improved. All right, the next tweet comes to us from Dominic A. Vidala, who tweets at Dominic Vidala. Baltimore Orioles split the battle of the beltways. No, 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 no. Listen, we do this every year. It is not the battle of the beltways, plural. It is not the battle of the parkway, though that is the road that that you can take from one city to the next. It's the battle of the beltway. It is the battle of the beltway because Major League Baseball dropped a team in Washington and its fandom should extend no farther than 495, the beltway that uh, surrounds that insipid federal district. Orioles' fandom is waning clearly in 2019, a historically bad season after an historically bad season. But we need to take the battle to Washington for the hearts and minds and souls of Washington sports fans who used to be Orioles fans. The battle, my friends, is at 495. That is the Rubicon. It is the battle of the Beltway. Singular. Last I checked, it was still the battle of Northern Virginia for Yankees fans. (laughs) That as well. All right. Last week comes from Mark Viviano at Mark WJZ. On this Labor Day, with a month left in the 2019 season, former Orioles Adam Jones and Nick Markikis have clinched one and two most MLB games for the decade. Hashtag work at simply AJ10. And it's top five Jones at 1484, Markikis at 1479, Amandrew McCutcheon at 1452, Starling Castro at 1441, and Ian Desmond at 1438. Pretty impressive to uh, average 148 games a season. Uh, for these this these ten years, and like I said, that's that's really impressive to me. I miss those guys. Yeah, I miss them too. Like I said, um, it'll be good to enshrine them uh, within the Orioles Hall of Fame um, in the years to come. Huh. Well, now that we got emotional there for a little bit, uh, let's go ahead and go around the bases and figure out who are going to be the next stars uh, coming in this September for the Baltimore Orioles. All right, Jake. So uh, September 1st has come and gone, and uh, expanded rosters have hit us. So uh, first, we talked about Mark Trombo, the return. Uh, had a nice game here for his first game back. Swell. Uh, but we also saw the return of uh, Sean Armstrong. and I'm sorry, who? Sean Armstrong. Not ringing a bell. Uh, and Dwight Smith Jr. You remember him? I do. I do remember him. And Brandon Klein. Yep. yep. And uh, Tanner Scott's back. What? Not Taylor Scott. Tanner Scott. Tanner... Has anyone from Orioles social media captured the emotional reunion between Tanner Scott and Taylor Scott? We know they're not brothers, right? No, I think they're the same person. I think this is like a... Uh, so they just scratch out his name in the back because it's a dry erase board and then just put YL next day? Yeah, it's like a transmogrification thing with Calvin and Hobbes. You know, eventually they have to be put back into the cardboard box and reunified. Are you playing with Calvin Ball? I might be. Okay. But yeah, yay, Tanner Scott. And then expected to come up um, based off of kind of clearing of the decks in terms of Norfolk. Austin wins, David Hess, 
Uh, Chandler Shepard, Ty Block, and Mason Williams, who's an outfielder. Okay, sure. Do you, have you ever heard of Mason Williams before? No. No, neither have I. No. I think it's a made-up name. It's, it sounds like the kind of name that a video game makes up for you. What What is the reason for the Orioles bringing up Mason Williams? Um, I don't know. All right, so I think this is an interesting um, scenario. You said he's an outfielder? Yeah, he's an outfielder. Isn't this a team that like has too many first base DH outfield types? Yeah. Okay. But we've got Trumbo, Sean Armstrong, Dwight Smith Jr., Brandon Klein, Tanner Scott, Austin Wins, David Hess, Chandler Shepard, Ty Block, and Mason Williams. We're bringing 10 people up? Doesn't that seem like a lot compared to previous years? Like, yeah. I understand that we're not very good, but I think it's a really different philosophy than Duquette and Buck held to, or just like, how oh, we'll bring up three or four guys, get them a feel for it. This is like, we've got spots available on the 40 man roster. Let's go ahead and bring Mason Williams up. Like, what role does Mason Williams serve so, on the major league team? Here, Here's. The answer to that question, I think, is more in the omissions okay. than it is who's coming up, right? So the, the elephant in the room are the guys that are not expected to come up, and that is Ryan Mountcastle yeah. and Austin Hayes. Yeah, Austin Hayes has already been at the major league level, so this is not a service time issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be that the Orioles do not feel that he's ready. I don't know. I mean, he's been playing in the minors for a while, so I don't think it's a health issue. Um but, you know, they're going to send him to the Arizona Fall League to continue to get at bats. So maybe they feel like he hasn't been back long enough to, to you know, take that step to the majors. Maybe. Okay. what Whatever. Because of the injury status, I'll, I'll give him a pass. What reason in the world is there to not bring up Ryan Mountcastle? Is it service time? I think it's service time. Is that really an issue for this club? Also, where are we playing Ryan Mountcastle? Well, Chris Davis is going to be sitting for most of the time. So he's going to fight against, you know, whoever's in the outfield. You you really care about Anthony Santander getting uh, at-bats at this point? Darn right I do. <laughs> or Dwight Smith Jr.? Darn or right Stevie I do. Stevie Wilkerson? I Absolutely. mean, come on. I would, Mark, Mark Trumbo said he might play in the outfield, <laughs> too. <Mark Trumbo. laughs> right, because there's no bending, right? <laughs> right. Especially when he plays it. Right, exactly. I would so much rather see him. Let's not forget about Mason Williams. Yeah, there is Mason Williams. I mean, I don't know. If it's a service time thing... I don't even know if that matters. Again, we're looking at a club that isn't going to be good for a while. Do we really save anything? Do we? We maybe save a little bit of time, I guess. I don't know. And it also, I will admit, on the other hand, it also doesn't matter about how many butts you put in the seat, right? Like Ryan Mountcastle would be more interesting, but it's not going to make that much. Of, it's not going to move the needle for attendance either. Do you think Mountcastle is ready for the majors? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not only do I think he's ready for the majors, but I think he's done everything at AAA that you can do. I mean, he's got the dubious honor of being the MVP of the International League. Like, what else is there to do up there? He might as well come to the majors, get a cup of coffee, get familiar, see how he does against Major League uh, pitching, and then either be a strong candidate to make the club next year so you don't have to pay you know, some other middling outfielder or know that he's not ready and know what you need to work on. All right. So I'm glad that you brought up the MVP of the international league. So going through Ryan Mountcastle's numbers for 2019, 25 home runs, uh, 82 RBIs, 4.4% walk rate, 23.5% K rate, BABIP at 369, <laughs> OBP at 343, uh, weighted runs graded plus at 117. So yeah, you're absolutely right that, uh, he had a, a decent season in AAA, but it certainly doesn't look like he was killing it down there. I mean, yeah, but I, I guess I guess my point is, if nothing matters with this organization, and right now it really doesn't at the major league level, and frankly at the AAA level, right? Like all the stuff that matters is at Aberdeen and Delmarva. That is where the rebuild is. That's where the process is going. What the heck does it matter? Mm-hmm. Bring him up. Let's see. And I'm not like. I know I'm passionate right now, but I'm not really worked up about it because nothing matters. But why not? Why not? What What do we lose? And if the answer is a little bit of service time about a guy that had a weighted runs created plus of 117 in mm-hmm. the International League, like, what are we talking about? Yeah. I don't know. 
I almost wonder, because we've seen other players come up in September and the hype train gets started on them, and then there's almost this expectation that he has to start the season with the club, similar to what we saw with Austin Hayes. Yeah. Maybe the Orioles don't want that pressure on him. Maybe they're just like, we're going to start you off slow again next year. See what happens. But there is no expectation coming in next year that you're going to be with this team. I think it's just that they don't want to rob at bats from Anthony Santander. Well, that's a possibility. I mean, I think it's it's come back comes back down to Mountcastle to me is either a first baseman or DH. And more than likely, he's a DH. So in reality, you're going to have Mountcastle and Trumbo battling for at bats. So does do you basically go to, you know, Trumbo and say, you know what, we're gonna minimize the amount of swan song at bats that you have in order for Mount Castle to get more at bats. Yes. Okay. And in fact, I would even take less uh Trey Mancini at first, which is something I'm also looking forward to seeing more of down the stretch. All right. And uh, so I need you to weigh in on this of how angry you are. So I'm gonna ask you in uh, a rating of one to two, Alan Smith, hey, <laughs> uh, how bad you feel about this move? And the scale is one to two? A uh, one to ten. A uh, one to ten. Yes. I would put myself at a 0. 0.75. Hey. Uh, yeah. All right. So you're not that concerned about it. It's just no, like, it just doesn't make sense. Just, That's all. Yeah. You just don't like the look is the best way to describe it. So, yeah. all right. Fair enough. Um, let's, let's head into second base as Mark Trumbo so eloquently did the other day. Scotty, do you remember when an Orioles and Royals series mattered? I do. It was in 2014. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, watching the Orioles and the Royals play this weekend uh, or this week, it, it was a painful reminder, not just of the fact that the Orioles are no longer relevant, but watching a rematch of the 2014 ALCS, it just left me feeling sad. All the emotions came back, the, the frustrations, the realization that this was the best hope that we had, the, the knowing that this team had been assembled for this purpose, and that from here it was all downhill, and all we had to do was make it through four games, but the hitting went cold, and the baseball guides, well, they laughed at us, Scott. I think it was fun just to watch uh, the Orioles go up against Scherzer uh, and then see, you know, Justin Verlander throw a no-no this week and just constantly think back to that 2014 ALDS and be like, mm-hmm. how the heck did we pull off that? Like, I still think back to it and I'm like, it makes no sense. Like, it really makes no sense. They won 96 games and I did not, I did not feel good about the Detroit series. No, you, nobody should have. It was, On you paper, looked at it and you're like... It's going to go five, and it's going to be brutal, and it doesn't look good. Like, maybe they can scrape by, but, man, there was no chance that you thought you would take both games at home. You're like, hopefully we get one at home, we can pull one in Detroit, and then we can come back home and get the fifth game. But coming off the emotions of the Detroit series, I just felt like there was no way this wasn't a season that was ordained for us to make it. Yeah. this, This was it. Man, brutal. And, and like classic uh, Orioles fashion, they get your hopes up and then they leave you with poop and, in your hands. And all of that came back this week. And the worst part was that all of that came back in a series which was a total yawn. Nobody in baseball cared about this series. Nobody. Even fans of the teams playing. The only group of fans that actually were even interested in this series were the Detroit Tigers fans because they're just yes. like, yes, the Orioles are taking it to those Royals. This is great. But, yeah, it was amazing to see uh, how quickly uh, two teams that, you know, were decent in 2014 and the Royals being decent in 2015 have uh, disseminated to the bottom so quickly. But, yeah. Also, if you're not picking up the musical reference, go back to Bird's Eye View episode 99.5 for the summer song. And and be ready to cry. Just there's going to be tears. Lots of them. So. All right, going to third base, we talked about minor league talent. We talked about it improving. Delmarva and Bowie both have made the minor league playoffs, and Aberdeen just barely missed out in going to the playoffs. Um, they got nudged out by Brooklyn today, um, but Aberdeen ended with the most wins this season in franchise history. 
So Jake, do you care at all about minor league baseball success in terms of wins and losses? Mm, do I care? It's dangerous because I feel like my initial response is no. Okay. Here is the only way that I could possibly make this matter. I think if we acknowledge that Delmarva and Aberdeen are the core of what will be the next great Orioles team, that it is probably a good professional experience for those young players to experience playoff baseball, though it's not the major leagues, in a in a format that matters, right? Playing games that quote-unquote matter at their level. Sure, that's great. And if they happen to win, well, then being a championship team, maybe that maybe that does something for them, you know, from a development standpoint. Outside of that, no, I don't care. I don't. So I, I agree with you that I don't really care about the playoffs, as it were. But I do take the fact that the Orioles have had success at multiple levels now, both Aberdeen, Delmarva, and uh, and and Bowie. And I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, okay, like, that's interesting. Like, if it was just one instance, because we've seen Bowie win um, mm-hmm. a division before, I'd be like, okay, you know, that's not that big of a deal. It's one out of, one out of anything. But the fact that it happened in three separate leagues is intriguing to me, and I think it comes back to the point of, Maybe they're doing something different. Even the Gulf Coast League for the Orioles um, was the leader in terms of their entire division. Now, there was no championship claim for uh, the Gulf Coast League this year because of the they Dorian. They got to eat that day. Yep. But uh, it, it was good to—I think it is good to see that. And I think, you know, if you look at the success rate that is being seen by the teams, I think it harpens back to there is more depth in the organization more so than anything else. Now, whether that's— High-level prospects, that's a whole other matter. But I do think the depth level now is kind of being shown um, to a certain degree and saying they may not be the best team uh, from a depth standpoint, but maybe they are in that top 10 that is out there, according to like Baseball America, Keith Law, um, Baseball Prospectus, et cetera, et cetera. I, I will be interested to see if it means success at the next level, right? So like Domarva is powerhouse right now. Does that mean that Frederick will be good next year? Aberdeen did really well. Does that mean that we can see continued success from Delmarva? Right? How do where do these players go, and f- what does it mean not only for their development, but if wins and losses? And I'm not sure that you can say this, but if wins and losses show that they're good players, that they're good teams, will that continue? I think the more interesting thing will be um, if success is not seen at the minor league level and prospects are not in essence developing at a certain caliber uh, within Frederick and or a given location where the Orioles basically again, clean house and say, we need to bring additional people in. Um, I think there was a lot of good reports that came out through the Gulf coast league about Alan Mills and some of the development that he did. Um, but I'll be very interested in terms of if something's not working and the Orioles don't like what they see, are they, in essence, going to shuffle the deck again and say, nope, these are not the right people. We're going to promote Delmarva upwards and then bring some other individuals in to take over Delmarva and, in essence, give them a shot now and have some of the higher-level prospects be up there? You know, that's a really interesting thought. And I, I, I didn't think about this until just now, but you look at Alan Smith, you know, former Oriole, right? He got into coaching in this organization because, you know, he was number 75, right? I wonder if there is a future shakeup for the Orioles minor league coaching staffs now that Elias has been in place for as long as he has, right? We just saw this with the scouting department, right? Which is an area nearer and dearer to his heart. He was a scout. Like that was a, a part of the uh, a success pattern at, uh, at Houston, but also a lot of the people involved in coaching in the Orioles system have been there a while in mm-hmm. some capacity, yep. right? Smith was the bullpen coach here in Baltimore for a while. Now he's he's coaching at, at Gulf Coast. You know, I'm sure that these are fine baseball, you know, good baseball men. Um, I'm sure that they, they have great, you know, coaching pedigrees. But I wonder if there will be changes that are, are to come for the types of coaches, the types of instruction, the types of development that this particular uh, regime wants, or – 
if we're seeing success because we have good people in place. And I think it's even more interesting to see how that analysis and how that data is basically coming down. We've talked about data and tools have been integrated throughout the organization in terms of bat sensors, trackmen at all the stadiums. If you actually have certain coaches going out there and implementing this in terms of instruction and, and scouting and developmental players, then I would assume that as those players continue to progress to the minor leagues and they build up this repertoire in terms of discussion, the analytics, and also parlaying that information into real time and real game analysis. I also wonder if an individual like Alan Mills could in essence be a pitching coach in the future for the Baltimore Orioles and replace a Doug Brocalli in terms of, you know, being that next pitching coach that is going to take a DL Hall or Hunter Harvey to the next level. So you asked me the question, do I care at all? The answer is meh. You don't care about the minor league playoffs, but you'll put a little asterisk next to the wins and losses and say, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jake, coming into home plate. Jake, I've got a question for you. Okay. Is Trey Mancini dead to you now? Excuse me? Let me me play some sound for you. And uh, last question. What are your favorite pizza toppings? Favorite pizza toppings? I love, so I like meat lovers pizza. I like pepperoni, sausage, um, ham, um, you know, pretty much anything you can put on there. And bacon. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say meat lovers is my favorite. I'm also a big fan of Hawaiian pizza, pizza uh, ham and pineapple. Huge fan. A, I know it's very uh, hit or miss for people, but but I'm a huge fan of, of uh, yeah, Hawaiian pizza. So, uh, Trey Mancini, big fan of Hawaiian pizza. Uh, Jake, uh would you like to weigh in on this one? Sure. Um, Scotty, you know I fought a lot on this podcast. Yes. Uh, we have. You have said some unfortunate things about the White Album. We have disagreed from time to time. Sometimes that disagreement is ginned up a little bit for entertainment value here on the show, admittedly, except for the White Album thing. Uh, but I think that punches may be thrown uh, because I'm just going to say – Though it's not my favorite, I'm fine with pineapple on pizza. All right. I'm just going to say, you can keep your fruit off of it. You want to do banana peppers? I'm fine with that. But fruit should not be on a pizza. You start off good. Meat lovers? Great. Yeah. No. Unquestionable. Is it great? Bacon? Great. Great. Perfect. Ham? Okay. You know, I can understand that. Still a pig. All right. We're still going. Pineapple? Listen. This is the way that uh, Chris Davis signs $160 million contracts is when you put out these opinions into the marketplace, uh, the, uh, the, the ownership gets worried, as it were, and saying, is this really our future going ahead? Is this the individual we want to invest in going forward if he's making these poor life decision choices going forward? You know what? Maybe Ryan Mountcastle should have been promoted. I say live and let live. If you want to put fruit, I put ridiculous you know fruit let, in my beer. Let's option Trey Mancini <laughs> based off this. Let's bring Ryan Mancastle up and let's option. You want to send Trey him Man- right to the Gulf Coast League. Absolutely. No question about it. He'd be closer to pineapples then at least. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to get the most tweets about this than anything else. Look, weigh in. If you're a live and let live person, I want to hear it. If you're an option to the Gulf Coast League, Scotty will want to hear it. Who will own it? No. Trey Mancini is not dead to me. I respect his desire for fruit. All right. Well, with that, um, <laughs> we've got to come um, to figuring out when do we turn in our fan card because I got pretty close to it today with the Ryan Mountcastle, according to uh, according to some fans. So, uh, you know, we we dabble as Scott does with the beverages. Uh, we dabble on the uh, on the Twitters. We we are occasionally involved. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, like my drink tonight, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. So Scotty uh, Scotty tweeted something out today that that some <clears throat> apparently missed the humor in, um, and responding to Mount, Mount Castle not being part of the the Orioles expanded roster. Um, a tweet coming from none other than Rock Bacco. Uh, Scotty made a, what I will say, it was a cultural reference. Right? That, that's can, appropriate. Can you walk me through this? 
Yeah, so um, there was a a tweet from um, two plus months ago at this point, I guess, uh, when uh, Andrew Kashner uh, was traded for some international prospects. Um, and uh, there was an individual, his name is Will Shiflett, um, that, that tweeted out um, a fairly ridiculous statement. And Will Shiflett actually follows us. Uh, he's not he never responded to us in this regard at this point. But uh, he tweeted as, much, as follows. Uh, that seals the deal. I'm no longer an Orioles fan. I've been a fan since 1982 and a season ticket holder since 1996. I officially will not be renewing my plan next season, nor will I watch on TV ever again. Elias is officially the worst GM in history. So Scotty, Scotty basically quotes this tweet in its entirety, word for word. And other people have done this. Yeah, so this is this is it's a thing. This is very like uh, I like the duck basically at this point. Some of you got it, some of you did not get it. Uh, and for those of you that thought that this was the thing that was going to push Bird's Eye View over the edge to no longer being an Orioles fan, it's absurd on so many levels. But it got me wondering if people are simply able to say that's it. I'm turning in my fan card. Shouldn't that have been done long before now? I mean, there have been so many opportunities to turn in your fan card before something as trivial as Ryan Mountcastle not coming up. So, Scotty, let's put a list together. Sure. All right. This These are the things that hurt the most. These mm-hmm. are the low point moments in franchise history. These are the things that have wounded fans to the point where they have lashed back out with tweets like, I'm never watching on television again. So let's just let's bounce it back and forth. Let's let's do a couple of volleys here. Let's let's dig into this. What are some moments that should lead people to turning in their fan or should have uh, had people turn in their fan card? So the most obvious one, which people always point back to, of course, is the Owen 21 start for 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when the president calls you and says like, hey, uh, Congratulations on getting your first victory. Like Frank Robinson must have been like, yeah, f- you too. <laughs> <laughs> so. I I can uh, I can agree with that. Um, let me let me start with one uh, that I was present for, and that was the thirty to three game. Oof. Right, still I st- still I believe is is a historic uh, game. Yeah, right. This is the worst in Major League history. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, you know, watching the Orioles lose a doubleheader, first one like eight to seven, yeah. and then the next one thirty to three. Yeah, and then uh, in the middle of that was when Tremley was was instated as the full time manager. Like it was just the first before the first game, he was instilled as mm, the manager. That's just low, low marks. If you could get through that and not turn in your fan card, this is this is small potatoes. Then of course we've got the Jeffrey Mayer incident in nineteen ninety six where. Again, if we didn't learn from that, you know, shame on us. It, it was like we should have said, hey, this is going to be the scenario where it's like, nope, I need to move on and just realize that bad things are going to happen. That did not just break me of the Orioles. That would have had me sign off on Major League Baseball entirely. Mm-hmm. Like, this is ridiculous. There's clearly something going on. There's shenanigans. I will not watch the Orioles, but nay. Nay. I will not watch Major League Baseball. All right, let me uh, let me go off script here. I've got a couple for you, Scotty. Okay. Um, I think that one of the the worst moments of Orioles baseball was Josh Hamilton's four home run night. It was at Camden Yards. Pretty sure that Jake Arrieta was involved. That was just brutal because every time he came up to the plate, you knew what was going to happen. Yep. And it happened anyway. It was like. You couldn't turn away. You knew a train wreck was coming, and that train wrecked every time. That's a, a very good one. Um, you know, I think one of my big ones, and it also comes to the Orioles, but also could just be related to the entire game, is when the Mitchell Report came out and the prominence of Orioles that were labeled in the Mitchell Report. And this doesn't even include Raphael Palmero, and if like this included... A, a cornucopia of Orioles uh, that were uh, linked in the Mitchell Report um, to the point where uh, I may have had one of these former Orioles sign the Mitchell Report uh, during my FanFest forum, and uh, he was 
not very happy to have uh, signed it. All right. Uh, that was on my list, too. I'm delighted that you came up with that. All right. Here's here's the next one for me. The 4 and 32 end of the 2002 season. That is as brutal yes. a time to be an Orioles fan as, as any that I can remember. Look, we only we only won, you know, 47 games last year. We're only going to win 50-some games this year. We think this is bad. 2002 was bad, and then they only won four games in a month plus. Yeah. I remember going to college um, and just being like, okay, well, at least I'll have a little bit of Baltimore with me. And uh, I can, you know, relate to this. Yeah, not so much. Not mm. so much. Not so much at all. Um, yeah, brutal. Uh, one that I think is an interesting one that we we, we don't really talk about that often. Um, but the Roberto Alomar spitting incident was a it was a black mark, I think, in terms of you saw it happen. And it was one of those situations where you saw it happen during 96. And you're just like, well, this is a playoff team. But I don't know. This is not the right way to play the game. This is not how Cal would play this game. Who are these guys around him and what are they doing? So I think that was a one of those moments where I'm just like, I like Cal, but do I actually like this team? That is a very emotionally complicated time. Yeah. 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 I hear you. All right. Um, I'm going to go way back. I could not have possibly experienced this, but I would say the Orioles losing the 1969 series after winning 109 games. Oof. You know, we just talked at at length about the emotions uh, associated with losing the ALCS in 2014. This is a hundred times worse. It's the World Series. The Orioles were the jewel of Major League Baseball at that point, and they lost to the Mets. Mm -hmm. Woof. That's rough. I still think 79 may be rougher just in terms of the Orioles losing to the Pirates after being up. Um, three games to two, being able to come home and still being able to manage to lose it. Scotty, um, Scotty, the Mets yeah. were not family. That's true. That's a good point. Um, but you know, you, you the last World Series you had at that point was 1970. You lose in 71. You lose in 79. And you're just like, maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe we don't have a future. I mean, this is before Ripken coming up and everything. You're just like, maybe this is, in essence, the Dark Ages are coming. Oh, they did not know. They did not know. And I think that's where it really comes back down to, which is 14 years of misery, heartache, and woe as you saw, you know, the big city teams such as the Yankees and the Red Sox, in essence, form dynasties during this time. But the the, the frustrating thing to me about the Dark Ages is that looking back, we can look at them in, in a single lump, Right. But while it was happening, it was like ripping a scab off a fresh wound every game, every year, because there were people that at some point during that 14-year period had hope, right? Whether it was, oh, Matt Wieters is coming up, and he's Jesus and Cleet, so this is clearly going to be the year. Or, you know, oh, 2007 was terrible, but 2008 can't be worse. You know, maybe they'll get some, uh, some, some uh, free agents and figure this out. I think uh, in the Dark Ages, one of the worst things, one of the things that should have made me turn in the fan card was watching Daniel Cabrera play anyone not the Yankees. Yeah. You know, this was a player that you were supposed to be able to believe in. He was supposed to be dominant. He had everything right there inside and just it wouldn't happen. And I think if I were to sum up, again, I talked about the whole, you know, Yankees and Red Sox dynasty, but it's like the Orioles could never get past it i think jack cuss stumbling down falling in 12 to the yankees in 2003 really sums it up and it was one of those things of it's just like you said at that moment it was like a scab that you continually picked at but you're absolutely right i, I look back on it and i look back at the dark ages and i do believe you're absolutely right it is one giant pile of that is one big pile of shit. Yeah, that's that's about right. That is one one big pile of There's no question about it. Thank you, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> You're making a lot of work for yourself with the coin noise today. <laughs> my my last one, and this is I think the the biggest thing for me uh, that should have made me turn in my my fan card. 
And that was the Orioles waving the white flag. And we think that that has happened in so many games, you know, oh, oh, they're just rolling over. They're just, uh, you know, going through the motions. For me, the Orioles waving the white flag and saying, we can't do this. We're just not good enough was the drafting of Matt Hobgood. Mm. That was a draft where, again, he was drafted, what, fifth overall, yeah. seventh overall? Something. They had a great draft pick where you have the opportunity to draft can't miss guys. And not only did they draft somebody like, you know, uh, Brian Mattis, who then they failed to develop into a major league talent of, of uh, real quality, they they drafted somebody that you knew from the start was a nobody. Yeah. Was going to be nothing. It would have been like the Orioles going into the first draft this pack pick this year and been like, we're going to play conservative and sign someone we know we can do and then have a bunch of money still left over. It it was, for the time, it was a capitulation. Yes. And it was really, really hard to watch. Yeah. Huh. I feel better, don't you? I feel great now. So listen, if you ever see something like a midseason trade or a failure to bring up somebody from the you know, to the forty man roster. Don't get dramatic. We have seen so much worse. And if we've missed anything, be sure to let us know. Tweet us at birdseyeviewbal. Uh, you can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. I want to know what your low moments were. The the moments that that tested you the most as a fan. The, the times that you were most tempted. Uh, to hand in your fan card. Or, you know, if you have friends that don't listen to the show because they've already turned in their fan card, you know, let us know what made them exit stage right. So uh, this fan card that I have in front of me mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that I've laminated and kept around for 30-plus years, yep. uh, I can hold on to this then. I, I would. All right. I would if That's I were. great. I'm going to put back... Oh. I just noticed this for the first time. Uh, when I flipped it over and looked at the back of it, it says, not valid in Nashville. What do you think that means? <laughs> I don't know, and I hope we never find out. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on oh, baby. You sure do swing. When it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting on oh, daddy. You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out, and across. Jake, your man, Anthony Santander, did great this week, uh, hitting three home runs to trade boom, 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 Mancini's uh, zero. So uh, congratulations. Look, I wasn't going to mess up a dongathon. You uh, didn't mess the dongathon up at all. So, Jake, this week's category, uh-huh, uh-huh. who is going to have the better week in terms of weighted runs created plus? Mark Trumbo. Or Chris Davis. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's an either or. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, oh, gosh. Way to run screen plus. Uh, I hate to do this. I'm going to say Mark Trumbo. All right, then I'll go with Chris Davis, and we'll see who owns it this week. That is not, <laughs> that is not a good set of choices. <laughs> All right, we'll see who owns it this week. Jake has a commanding league going into September of 9-6-1. and one. Let's find out who is good. Who is bad and who is ugly this week in Birdland? That's right. It's time again for the good. The bad and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started here. My good for this week is Pedro Severino. Look, he may not be as uh, as he was once called the catcher of the future by none other than the mustachioed one, uh, but he had a pretty good week this uh, this week. And with uh, you know some other catchers on the horizon, including uh, Austin Wins, who may who may uh, steal some at bats. He did what he was supposed to do. 146 weighted runs created plus. He had a 391 Woba. He drove in four runs in the three games in which he played, and he even stole a base. 
Uh, he was also a lot of fun to watch during the national series, right? Because these were, you know, former friends and teammates of his, but also he had a lot of insight. Uh, he is a personality that, as we discussed, is fun to watch, fun to experience, even from the television. He had a good week. He also had a great moment today uh, at Tampa Bay where uh, he played catch with an Orioles fan that was out in left field, um, just making a a moment uh, for that kid for the rest of his life. Um, he will always remember Pedro Severino, um, and he may be the only Orioles fan in the future <laughs> that will remember Pedro Severino, but it is still a moment like that that is critical for the development and getting that love for baseball. So my good for the week is going to go to Anthony Santander. I've heard of him. Who uh, had three home runs. You've heard of that as well. And posted a 260 Witty Runs Created Plus in 20 plate appearances. Good for a 0.5 F war this week. Yeah, but did he win the hearts of any other European nations this week? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. We, you know, Brexit is still, you know, a question mark right now on the horizon. But Anthony Santander is now at 120 Witty Runs, Runs Created Plus for the season and a 1.7 F war for the season. Uh, treatment scene. I mean, uh, Anthony Santander is having a pretty decent season, all things considering. All right. He's at a 120. 120 and 1.7. Yes. Scott. Yeah. Let's just say he lights the world on fire in September. Like he did this week. Yes. Yeah. Let's just for, for giggles. For giggles. Is there any way he gets to two war? It's possible. Okay. I mean, I know it's unlikely. But if Anthony Santander ends up as a two-war player in this season, whoa. Uh, I will definitely go whoa if uh, Anthony Santander gets to two-war. I would never have predicted that Anthony Santander would have ever got to a two-war season. What a coup that would be for the Dan Duquette uh, dumpster diving Rule 5 process. I think that was Andy McPhail's pick. I think he just found some papers. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. All right. My bad for this week is going to go to Renato Nunez. Renato Nunez had a 67. I'm sorry. Hang up. Hit a negative 67 weighted runs created plus with a .077 WOBA and a 55.6 K rate. 55.6% K rate. And let me just say, as the rosters expand and at-bats become more scarce and more dear, yuck. 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 That's bad. My bad's going to go to Stevie Wilkerson, who posted a pedestrian seven-weighted runs created plus. I'm not going to stop saying WRC plus. Uh, More importantly, Steve Wilkerson had some absolutely awful plays in the outfield. I mean, he is fully demonstrating why he is not an outfielder, just dropping fly balls. And again, these are not uh, easy or hard, but I would say that they are, you know, average, slightly below average. He's a natural infielder. Yeah, exactly. He's listed as an outfielder on right. the Orioles roster. Right. Yikes. And that's why we have um, so-and-so who we called up from Norfolk. <laughs> Somebody I've never heard of before. His his player's weekend jersey is going to say so-and-so. so-and-so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that other guy. If, if I will say this much, if Brandon Hyde were to come out for player's weekend next year and it would say the Muppet on the back of the jersey, uh, I, I may buy one of those ugly jerseys. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Orioles fans and Birds of You listeners, you can just buy Scott a, an Orioles jersey that says the Muppet if, on the back. If you did that, folks. Number 18, the Muppet. I, I may cry. May cry. All right. My ugly for the week is going to go uh, to dugout infighting. Look, it was quaint when uh, Davis and Hyde did it. But now that it's happened a second time uh, with Blyer and Flores, it's kind of a bad look. Now now it's just moved into the sad territory. When it happens once, you excuse it and you say, okay, that, that happens with baseball. I think some idiot did that on this program. Um, but now that it's happened a second time, again, caught in public, when a very, very bad team, like the Orioles are, um, has very, very bad behavior, it just is a bad look. And that is my ugly for this week. Dugout infighting, may we never see it. In 2019 again. My ugly is going to go to folks that still continue to insinuate that the Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles are a rivalry. There is no chance in the world the Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles are a rivalry. The Washington Nationals right now are playing for a playoff spot. They're more than likely going to get it. I think they've got like a 90 plus percent playoff out at this point. 
But the fact of the matter is there was no excitement and or giddiness in terms of the Orioles playing spoiler, as it were, in terms of their playoff spot. Um, now, that being said, the Orioles were putting out nobodies. Uh, they still managed to win a game. I believe they were at plus 375 odds. So I think they had like an 18% chance to win that game. Still managed to win it. But where there was no hoopla or harassing of Nationals fans or anything like we typically see if we were to take a game from the Yankees or the Red Sox. So for any beat writer out there um, or anybody that is running a blog or you know thinks that, hey, this is an easy way for me to get some filler into my column, just stop. Be better. Do better, ask the right questions, and participate in this team and uh, the fan base that it actually is. When we were both terrible, the games didn't matter. Right. When they were both good, the te- the games didn't matter. Yep. Now one's good and one's bad. The games don't matter. I don't know what it's going to take, but this is not a rivalry. No, not a rivalry whatsoever. So, oh. all right. Why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? It's over, folks. This is the end. No, not just of this episode. It's another summer in the books. Scotty mentioned it. It's Labor Day. I think there's something about being able to wear white involved. But uh, here in Maryland, uh, in most municipalities, kids are going back to school tomorrow. This is the end of the summer. Scotty, I hope you and the family had a good one with the kids being available and around and obnoxious during the daytime. I know that uh, we spent the day, you know, together as a family with the last hurrah, the last huzzahs it was. Uh, my wife goes back to her classroom tomorrow. My kids go back. And as I was just thinking about, you know, the end of the summer, uh, you know, it's that also for the baseball club. This is it. You know, we're just, we're just, <laughs> stop that. We're just kind of turning off the lights at this point. This is the end of another summer. So, Birdland, if this isn't it for you, if you can make it out to the ball club one more time and spend a fine evening at Camden Yards watching a questionably talented baseball team with maybe a cold beverage and a hot meal and good friends around you, do it. If you can invite some friends over and crowd around Masson, do it this is another summer in the books make the most of what's left and that that is our show oh wow i'm really depressed now remember you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at bird's eye view baltimore.com Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many, many others. Please remember to rate and review this show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. It's something we call social engineering. Come get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com or jake. At birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. If you want to talk about what you should and shouldn't have on your pizza. Absolutely. You can find us on social media at Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. Hit us up with a DM and uh, we'll see if we can get back to you. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Enjoy going back to school. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Are you sad about the season ending? A little bit. A little bit. So what beer are you putting in your fridge this year for your opening day beer? We'll uh, we'll get there. We'll get there? We'll get just going to pontificate on that one? Someone going to have to buy that beer for you or are you just going to give it up now? I'm, I'm going to beg for it. Okay.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.